0: Listen up, or run for cover. Dropping knowledge. From the people who have it, to the people who need it. The the, the real Bradley is dropping. What it is, Bradley, back again with another episode of Drop Bombs. Today in the studio, folks. I am piping in a freaking champ. You probably heard of him before. If you haven't, you're about to. His name's Alex Harmozy. Harmozy. He's the CEO of Gym Launch. Okay. He's got a, a meal company. He's probably got more companies than I even know about. But the, the, the reason I brought this cat on is one reason. The dude used to sleep on the floor, have no money whatsoever, and then he started freaking a few businesses. And now he's a multi, 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 damn near I I don't even know it might end up he might end up a billionaire smart son of a bitch folks you better pay attention to this one we're not going to talk much about COVID although I want to bring up COVID welcome Alex Harmozy what's up buddy
1: what's up thank you so much for the uh, intro honored to be here actually I'm pumped to be here more than anything I've been looking forward to this podcast for since it's been on the calendar
0: well so have I Man, because I'll tell you, dude, when, when when me and you first started talking, I'm thinking, God damn, dude, if this dude ran Lightspeed, I'd already be a billionaire. Because <laughs> dude, you do you do stats, you, you know you 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 know what you're doing. You're quick. You're still cool. Like usually, you got to be some sort of techie nerd type to 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 be like you. So you've got like the techie nerd that that I can't seem to be, and you got the cool. So you're like a unique mix of things, and then also you you know how to build culture, you know how to build brands, like where'd you learn all this shit?
1: Um, everywhere, uh, you know Google. <laughs> uh, I mean, I say that half jokingly, but I I say that in a lot of seriousness. I think so. One of the the major beliefs that we've that I've I've espoused in our whole community is is knowing what the path looks like in terms of leveling up as an entrepreneur, and at least how I saw it was in the beginning you're acquiring skills the next level you're acquiring character traits and then after that you're you're breaking and challenging beliefs and i see that as a, as, as three steps that continue to repeat themselves over and over again at each level um, and so like in the beginning you're learning how to market and sell right you're trying to learn how to promote learn how to get people to buy stuff right you're, you're you don't even know what you're selling you're just trying to get somebody to give you money right um, And then you start and stop and you're shiny object. And you're like, you start doing this thing. You start doing that thing. Right. And you're, you're going all over the place because you don't have the character traits that allow you to be disciplined and patient and consistent. Right. And so it's like you had these skills, but you weren't applying them because you didn't have the character traits. And so first you learn the skill, then you learn the character traits. And then you change your beliefs about what you should be doing for fulfillment. What you should be doing is the opportunity vehicle that you're going to use to package your, skills then ultimately monetize them in and then you kind of start all over again you're like okay what skill do I need to learn now I learned how to sell but now I got to learn how to how to train someone else to sell then I got to learn how to manage a sales team then I got to learn how to I used to learn how to market but then I got to learn how to run a graphics department and a, and a video department and copywriting and traffic and media right and you're like oh wow so I had to learn each of those skills myself so that I could then teach someone but then also call someone else out on their bs if they're like well that's not possible you're like <laughs>
0: <laughs> now see now see right now see right there, dude. That that is my problem because I was about to say, why'd you have to learn it yourself? Because you don't have to if you try to be everything to everybody, you're gonna end up a small ass company. Which yeah. again, you've grown your company to how much now?
1: We did 37 million last year.
0: See, so dude, that's like like, do you think it's hard getting to freaking $37 million, it's, 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 I think the percentages are astronomical that most companies like go out yeah. of business in the first year. Then, after, like, let's say 92%, then after that, out of the small fraction that actually make it a year, uh, 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 92% of those will never reach more than $10 million revenue. Yeah. So you're against all odds. And I'm telling you, and, you just said it, you learned it. So you could call people on their bullshit. For me, that's what I cannot do. I go back. I say, man, I need the system to do this. And I, 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 you know, let's make it do that. And then like seven months later, it's like, where are we? And they're like, well, you know, it takes time. And I'm like, oh, okay, well let me know. You yeah. know? And I'm like, dude, if I knew how to code, I could walk back there and be like, bullshit, bro. This should have been done six months ago. You're out, you're out, you're out. You, what know,
1: mo- you do that. You know how Elon Musk has, he's, he's an expert at so many things. And I think that's what's allowed him, I mean, a zillion other reasons, but one of the reasons he's been able to innovate so well and create so many uh, unique companies is because he knows a lot about programming. He knows a lot about mechanical engineering. He knows a lot about electrical engineering. He knows a lot about chemistry and plastics and materials. And he knows how to market. And he knows how to promote. And he knows how to do PR. And he knows how to recruit. And so all of those things are skills that he had to lace together. And at least for me, like I don't need to be able to know how to do every single thing. But I, the biggest skill that I think we, right, as CEOs, have to know is how to be able to recognize true talent. And there's so many people that talk the talk and sound pretty and look good, but like over time, you develop the pattern recognition. You're like, I think you're full of shit. They're like, I think you sound good, but I don't think I don't think you have the grit you know? Um, and, uh, f- f- yeah, it gets back to the big point. It's like, I need to be able to know what's happening so that I can say whether it's good or not or how it needs to be improved. Um, and fortunately the, the areas that I don't know the most about like finance and HR, like I don't really know, like right. Like I never, I even had the desire to learn about that. Um, I think we had a, enough interpersonal awareness to be like, this person comes heavily vetted i talked to their uh, talked to all of the ceos that they worked with before i looked at the track record and then immediately within the first week i felt relief and the things they were doing made sense to me and then i would check with other people that i know that are just as smart and i have my other finance buddies interview that person to vet them because it's their skill set not mine right and so that's that's how i try and cover the blind spots on the areas that i don't know but for me, at least as CEO, product marketing uh, or product and acquisition are the two things that I feel like I have to know better than just about anyone. And acquisition comes to all forms: marketing, sales, lead, you know, lead nurture, the follow-up sequences, pages, funnels, traffic buying. Like I need to know that stuff really well. And then, uh, to the same degree, the product. Right? I need to know more specifically what it's supposed to do, not how the lines of code, work, but what the problem it's supposed to solve is.
0: How much time per day did you spend getting up to speed, learning?
1: Um, <laughs> so I I right now uh, work still uh, twelve hours a day, six days a week, and I haven't really stopped that.
0: And you haven't really what?
1: I haven't stopped that. That's I still do that. I don't I don't have kids. Um, my wife works with me. Uh, we only need a half day, you know, to, to feel recharged or whatever. And, uh, we start super early. We start at four or five in the morning and we usually go until four or five. So that's kind of our schedule, four or five in the morning, four or five at night. Um, and then we just take out, you know, last three hours of every day. It's just me and my wife and we have dinner and, you know, just rest and hang out. And then we do it all over the next day. And that's, that's, I've done the same thing since I started.
0: And folks, if you guys can't see him because you're listening to the audio, you can check us out on YouTube, youtube.com forward slash VT as in virtual training, Brad Lee, LEA. So you can see the dude, the dude's all ripped. So dude, you have to be, you have to be working out some during part of that 12 hours.
1: Um, Usually I work out after work. I just recently started working out first thing. I've, I've done all different times. Usually it just depends on what work I'm doing at what time. I'd say if I'm in a heavy build mode, I tend to do my most creative work in the mornings. And so I want to like I get out of bed and I already have things I want to start working on. And then at the end of the day, my brain's tired, but my body's fresh. And so then I'll work out um, if I have to make more like strategic decisions and like have to like talk to people and training and coach like the team, then I'll, I'll probably work out in the morning so that I'm mentally sorry, physically a little bit more calm. And then I can go into the meetings like without my like aggressive, aggressive side coming out. <laughs>
0: So <laughs> bring me back a little bit you used to sleep on couches and be just like broke were you still like fitness but just broke because i know a lot of dudes that are so into the gym yeah. like they always make fun of me because you know i got a little love handle they're always like you know hey why don't you do why don't you put a little weight on that bar and i'm like why don't you put a little fucking money in the bank <laughs> like, at, the, at the end of the day like you can screw with me about being buff but but yeah. dude i can screw with you about being broke you've got you've got both things covered but back in the day yeah. were you into fitness
1: I was obsessed with fitness until the day I opened my business and then I it automatically took a back seat
0: so you were you were in shape then
1: yes I've been in shape I mean I've, I've been training since I was 13 so I had a six pack when I was 14 years old like I've never been in like out of shape I think big picture I've always seeked status and so uh, really the things that would get me girls. And so, you know, when I was in high school, what, what got you girls is like, at least I thought was being in shape. And, you know, that's what I thought.
0: Tell you um, what, it was money?
1: Right. And <laughs> in, in college, it was uh, doing well and then getting a good job afterwards. So I did super well and I did better in college than I did in high school because I didn't really care as much. Um, but and then I got a management consulting job. I finished in three years. I was president of fraternity. I did all the things that you're supposed to do to get status in that community and then as soon as i graduated i realized none of that matters you just got to be rich as shit and so <laughs> and so all of my focus went to towards business but the habits of like it's hard to unlearn knowing what like i can't i know what i'm eating every day cuz i've been doing it for so long like i don't it doesn't take any mental energy and then like training it takes so little energy to maintain what you spent years building that i can work out twice a week for 30 minutes and i can maintain like what i look like
0: Mm. So you were sleeping on the floor which bes- basically meant you had no money your parents weren't rich what were they middle class No Hello? my
1: parents so um my dad's a doctor uh but I had a very so he was like hey you should use you should just take over my practice what kind um, of- He's a plastic surgeon. So they yeah he, does, he does well. Yeah, he does well. Um but I never wanted anyone and this is my own ego. Um, I never wanted anyone to say you were successful because of your dad. Now, that being said, my dad loved me and he supported me and he put me in, you know, good school. So like, I can never really get around that. Right. He gave me good genetics, whatever you want to say. Right. Um, but insofar as like, I saved the money for me working as a management consultant for two years, so I saved 60 grand. Um, when I was 22, uh, I, would saved 60 grand by the time I turned 23. And that's when I opened my, uh, my first facility, I spent all of the money I had and I saved $10,000. Uh, left over and the rent was 5000 a month. And so I had two months worth of rent on a five-year lease <laughs> and I had never sold anything in my life. In fact, I was offered a job at uh, Merrill Lynch uh, to, to, be a, to be on the, the sales side for wealth management. And um, I said, I'm not a salesman. That's, that's not who I am. I'm, a, I'm an academic. And so, and as soon as I opened my, my doors, I was like, shit, I got to get people to give me money. <laughs> and so that I learned real fast.
0: Yeah. So, so when you were saving that 60 G's and you opened your business,
1: yeah,
0: you were basically sleeping on the floor of the business.
1: Yeah. I slept at the gym for the first nine months.
0: So like literally, like that's not one of those. I walked uphill both ways and carried a baked potato on the way so I could keep my hands warm. And when I got there, that was my lunch.
1: Right. No, that, uh, I slept on the floor for the first nine months, but the caveat, Even
0: even though you had 60 G's in the bank.
1: No, I spent that to open the business. So I saved 60 and then yeah. I spent that to build the gym and, and where were you
0: where were you sleeping when you saved 60?
1: Just in my apartment.
0: Cause a lot of times, dude, people can't save 60000 dollars Like that's to me, like, dude, you save 60 freaking G's? Like, how do you do that? When I how old were you? Twenty one through
1: twenty-three.
0: See, when I was twenty-one, number one, I'd be lucky if I was making sixty G's. Actually, I was. Um, but I was blowing it.
1: Yeah. Dude, I was
0: blowing it, trying to trying to chase that tail, look cool, impress people. How did you? How, was it your upbringing that, or you were just smarter than me?
1: No, my dad. Uh, my dad's first generation immigrant, and so he came here with a suitcase and nothing. And now he built his his whole life uh, off of just work ethic. And so, like that's. And we never spent money. You wouldn't know that I was raising money because. We wouldn't, use pa- we wouldn't use paper napkins at the dinner table because he's like, it's a waste of money. We didn't use paper towels because they were expensive. Like he's a plastic surgeon, but like he never stopped living that way. And so that, that translated over like the car that I had, I bought for 5,000 in cash. Uh, so I had no payment on it. I had no nothing. Um, and uh, I lived on $1,100 a month uh, while I was uh, a management consultant. And uh, that's a really good paying job. And so I, I lived all in on that. And uh, I lived in Baltimore uh, but all of my work was in DC, uh, and, uh, or in, uh, Omaha, Nebraska at Stratcom. So I used to work space, cyber and intelligence, different life than now, but <laughs> I, but, uh, but anyways, during that, during that contract work, um, I, I was, I was paid well. Um, and that's what I, I saved it.
0: Well, if anyone's listening, that's the first thing you guys got to figure out is how to save money and, and, and not spend it, not like me, dude, when I started Lightspeed, I was pretty much broke. I had child support. I had car payments. I'd lived beyond my means as a salesperson and a sales manager. You know, I spent, I, I was making three, 400 grand before I quit, but I'd spend it. So again, I was just broke at another level. Yeah. And when I first started my business, you know, it was hard to get going. So, so literally I had a one bedroom apartment. No, I had a two bedroom apartment. Um, I was, I was, I was, didn't have much furniture. I needed a lot of shit, car payments, all this problem is, is when I started making 10,000 a month with Lightspeed, which took a while, I took five of it and hired somebody. Everyone's like, dude, what are you doing? And I was, I, I didn't even think about it. I was building the company. I wasn't thinking about getting more uh, uh, dialed in. I wasn't thinking about new furniture. I wasn't thinking about a nicer car getting caught up. I was thinking about building the business. And so when I look back, man, I basically did the same thing. I, I I reinvested money and didn't worry about getting a nicer house. And that was the hardest thing, I think most people had to figure out, is you know scaling their business by reinvesting and and living low. And you were doing the same thing.
1: Layla and I have one car.
0: You still live low.
1: Yeah, we live we live on less than nine thousand dollars a month. Um, still. Yeah. Damn, dude. Yeah. I know that may sound like uh, a lot to the listeners, but for relative scale, that's less than 1% of what I take home every month.
0: Not only, not only that, but dude, 9000 a month, dude, is is like you ain't living high on the hog, man.
1: <laughs> I, I bought my house in cash. I know Uncle G said no, but I have no payments. I have no debt. Uh, everything I own is in cash. And that's just like, I didn't want anxiety. So for me, I'm actually really security driven, ironically, as an entrepreneur. So like once I make the money, I never want to lose it. And so like, I've just, I just, I've been broke and I did not enjoy it. And I don't want to be broke <laughs> ever. And so that's how oh, I've well,
0: got Pay attention to what that lesson is. So, so you, so you save 60 G's, you've opened up a gym, you, you basically invested all your money and we're willing to sleep on the floor for nine months. Did you say? Yeah. Nine let months. Me,
1: Why did not you do a wrinkle to that? That will make that story a little better. Go ahead. I increased the revenue of the gym by $5,000 a month every single month for that period of time. And I still slept on the floor. So I was sleeping on the floor and I was taking home 25000 a month.
0: Be just because you like to be there?
1: I think there's a little bit. I, I think there's a certain degree of like definitely internal fucked upness of like enjoying the grit and the struggle and being like, I'm going to tell this fucking story. Um, but I also really just like making money and seeing it go up in my bank account.
0: So you're like it's a, it's like a scoreboard.
1: It's a game. Yeah, I got addicted. Like every time I think about, am I going to spend something, I would be like, ah, I really want to make sure I go up this month. And so I just I'm like, ah, I'd rather go up. And that was that's just like pretty much how it's always been. I mean, literally, my wife right now, she's like, let's get a second car. And this has been like our discussion of the last probably two months. She's like, get a second car. I'm like, what do we need a second car for? You know. And then she, she was like, the G-Wagon's really nice. And I'm like, I know, it's, it's nice. I'm like, why don't we just get another, let's just get a pickup for like 20 grand and then like not think about it. She's like, hey, when are you gonna stop living like this? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. But then I see Warren Buffett, I see Charlie Munger, you know, living in $60,000 Middle America households. And I'm like, I'm sure there's a balance point, but I think I lean, I mean, not them, but I lean more to that side than to the, the Lambo. And yeah. the car I have, I got for free.
0: I'm on the other side. It's almost like if someone, if you did have kids and they went to you and said, Dad, can I borrow $30? You'd say, $20. What do you need $10 for?
1: Yeah. <laughs> what can you work for free? <laughs> dude,
0: it's, it's like you're the type of dude that just likes that scoreboard. Yeah. Interesting. Um, all right. So it started doing, it started uh, making money yeah. and then, when did it, when did it click and say, shit, I need to open up a chain or like how did gym launch secrets get going?
1: So, um, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a, a shorter story as I can. Um, basically I had, the plan was never to have one gym. So I went into this wanting to build America's next like huge fitness facility. And I wanted it to be based on transformations and results. And like, that's what I really wanted it to be about. And so, um, the, the thing that I was able to do well was uh, I was able to open up each facility at full capacity on the first day, except for the first one. Uh, so I went to this Facebook marketing conference, um, and I learned how to run Facebook ads in 2013. And so it was a two day conference. It was an intensive. It was like, that was, what was that?
0: What'd that cost you?
1: I was about, so it cost me $3,000 to go to this two day, like intensive. And this was my first thing I ever bought in the information space. And the promise was, if you made, you were, you were going to make $10,000 by the end of the weekend, uh, or you got your money back. And I was like, okay, like, sure. And I didn't have, like, I mean, the whole gym cost me 50. I had 60. So three was like three of the 10 that was left. So like, it was a lot to me. Um, and like, you know, I'm cheap. So like, I was like, all right, like I got to figure this out. And after the weekend, I did not make $10,000, but I learned how to run Facebook ads and I got it. I was like, I see how this works. I can, I can figure this out. And so, um, I was able to run ads and that's what, what allowed me to start filling up the facility quickly. Um, and by month nine, uh, that's actually when I had fully outsourced the facility. So at that point I had all the trainers, the manager, it was running without me being there. And so, uh, at month 15, I was able to open up my second location that cost me 250,000. And so I had, I've been able to save up, um, just about 200 at that point from the cash flow of the business to open up the second location. um, And then every six months after that, I opened up a new facility at full capacity. And so I opened up six locations over the next three years total. And then uh, I started going to these internet marketing conferences and things like that. And I saw this guy, Russell Brunson speak, and uh, he wasn't allowed to pitch. So he just like talked about funnels and stuff. And I was like, this guy knows what he's talking about. This is cool. And um, a year went by, I never did anything. And one night I was, uh, this is during a different period of my life. I was drinking about half a bottle of Johnny Walker black every day because I had nothing to do. I was bored out of my mind. Like all six of the gyms were running and I was at home and I had, I had nothing to do. I would text him like, Hey, you need anything? And they were like, I guess we need some like ink for the printer. And I'd go on Amazon. I'd buy anything else. They're like, no, nope. like we're good. I was like, all right. And so I went and uh, I saw he was like looking for inner circle members, whatever. And then i signed up for his, his coaching group uh, for $25,000, which again was a ton for me at the time for still as a gym owner. Like I was, I was asset rich cash poor because every time I had more money, I opened another facility. And that was like, basically I just stack, 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 another facility, stack, 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 another facility. That's how I did it. But, uh, as soon as I showed up at the first thing, uh, there he said, and the biggest thank you that I have to Russell in my whole life, uh, is that he broke a belief for me. And so that's why I think these these progressions of skills first. I learned how to market and sell, and I learned how to operate, and run a business, and then and then there were character traits that allowed me to do it more consistently. And then I you know met Russell, and he's like, he said this. I'm not saying I you know necessarily say anything bad, but he was like, you're too good to be a gym artist. Um, He's like, you're you have a level ten skill set and a level two opportunity. That's what he told me. And so it like hit me like a ton of bricks, and I was like, shit. And so I was like, but this guy makes more money than me, and so I will listen. And so I sold my gyms. Um, I took his advice, and then I started launching gyms. So I started going to uh, other facilities and filling them up to full capacity, like I had done mine. So I would open. I would basically f- take a gym in, six, in 30 days from zero to full, doing all the marketing and sales stuff, and I would keep all the upfront revenue. But I was flying out, and then eventually, we you know I scaled up to a sales team of eight guys, and I was every month we'd launch eight gyms, flying out to different cities, launching these gyms. And I keep all the, all the upfront and then they would get the members. So they'd get 200 free members. I'd get the first six weeks of cash. And then the rest was theirs. Um, and that was kind of the trade off. So was no risk to them. I had all the risk and that's why I got all the, the upfront. Um, but then quickly I was like, this is not a very logistically scalable model. So at that point I was doing about 350 a month. Um, when I started launching the gyms and, uh, I was like, you know what, there's, there's a number of things that happened in that period of time that it, the model didn't work out. I didn't have any control of the fulfillment so we could sell somebody, but the people who were coming to me were typically failing gym owners. So they didn't have good product. They weren't good. And so I would sell them and then they would do a horrible job on fulfillment. And then I was the one who's carrying the risk of the, of the processing transaction. And so we'd get refunds and chargebacks and all sorts of stuff. And I was like, this just, it didn't feel right. It was close, but it was wrong. And so, um, what ended up happening is I said, Layla, she was with me at the time. I said, why don't we just start selling online and forget the gyms? Like we'll just sell straight. We'll sell weight loss. We'll just sell straight to consumers. And we said, cool. And so within 14 days, we we're doing a thousand bucks a day. I was like, this is great. We'll take the eight sales guys. We'll bring them in. It's going to be awesome. We'll do 8,000 a day. This could work. And so I have eight more gyms that were supposed to launch the next month. They were supposed to. And so I called them up and I was like, Hey, we're not, cause I had to book these things out a couple months in advance. And so I called him up. I was like, Hey, you know, we're not going to be doing this thing anymore. You know, we're going in another direction. And uh, the guys were like, listen, man, like I need this. I, like, I've I maxed up my credit cards up to my ears in debt. Like I need, like, I need these clients, man. And um, I was like, like, I don't know what to tell you about. Like I'm not doing it anymore. And then finally I was like, you know what? I'll show you how to do it. I was like, but I'm not flying out there to save your ass if you can't sell. And they're like, no, no, that's fine. That's fine. That's fine. And so uh, they were like, well, how much? And I, and at the time, I picked the highest number that I could think of for selling something, which was $6,000. I was like six grand. And I wanted him to say, no, that's why I tried to pick a high number. I didn't want to do it. And uh, he was like, okay. And I was like, you would have thought I would have, if you had looked at my face when that happened, I was like, Holy shit. Uh, And I was like, okay. And then I called up the second guy who was supposed to launch for that next month. I had eight same conversation. He was like, how much? And I was like, eight grand. He was like, okay. And I was like, And I called the rest of the guys and I made $60,000 in that day. And I was like, holy shit. And so I looked at Layla and I was like, babe, we're not getting out of the gym industry. I was like, we were just doing it wrong. And so I think that's interesting because you can have the same skill set, but packaged in different opportunity vehicles can create massively different results. And so over the weekend I built the whole training system and all that stuff. And then we launched it and all eight of those guys made 40 grand in their first month using, using all of our systems. And then that was March of 17. And since then, uh, you know, we, we sold now the program 16,000 and we have a, have a, a yearly kind of, uh, group that we continue to coach people and improve their businesses. Uh, that's 35,000 a year. And, uh, we now have 3,100 gyms that purchased that $16,000 program, um, you know, across 14 countries, uh, over 2,500 in the U S alone. And so, uh, it's been a ride. And so that's, uh, that's, that was kind of the impetus of, of gym launch uh, skyrocketing. A uh, year and a half later, I started a supplement company, Prestige Labs, because all the gyms, I sold supplements a ton at my gyms, and I never really had anything that worked well. I just, it just I, I needed to do it, it as a good profit stream. Um, but there was a, pro- a ton of problems with how like the traditional model set up with like fronting the inventory and all that kind of stuff. And so we made a zero inventory model for the gyms with a POS that worked integrated into their, into their backend to track to the trainer and everything. And so, uh, we launched that first month, we did 1.7 million. Uh, and then that's pretty much stayed as a constant. Uh, that's another like 15 to $20 million a year revenue stream for me. Um, that comes from the, from the supplement company. Uh, we started meals, uh, this last December, which Brad was referencing. we started that, um, uh, again, into the distribution base. It's just solving the next problems. Um, and then, uh, in about a year and a half ago, we started building a software, uh, which has been, uh, Pretty much the thing that I focus at least half my time on is building that out because it's not just for gyms; it's for any vertical. And so uh, that's that's now uh, it did it did five eighty last month, and it's sixth month of being around. So that's uh, pretty exciting for us that it's 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 it, it just kind of just recently hit its hockey stick, um, and it's just it's getting a lot of traction because we spent so much time. Brad knows from other conversations how much time I've put into this thing. Um, it is it is a data machine. Uh, and it is awesome. So I can talk more about throughput from click to close all the way through. Uh, but that's what it was built to do: is to optimize how many dollars uh, a brick and mortar business gets uh, off their marketing, and it's uh, really good. So that's kind of the, the scalability story. Scalability of that, huh? Was that?
0: You must love the scalability of SaaS model software.
1: It, it's 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 crazy. It is incredibly so. To anybody who who just knows Brad as 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 Bradley the guy you saw as the influencer the guy on Instagram or whatever like running a SaaS business is the hardest type of business you have the sharpest minds it's the most competitive world they're well capitalized they're venture backed you're fighting against the smartest dudes in the game right like the level of people who compete in MLM versus a brick and mortar versus online marketing versus like you continue to go up in skill set And I think the tip top of that, look at the biggest businesses in the world. They're all software-based businesses, biggest ones, they own the world. And so you have the smartest, brightest guys that you're competing against and it's expensive. It takes time. You have to make really hard trade-offs and strategic decisions. Um, And uh, it's been amazingly, it's been lots of fun because of the challenges because it's a different level of game. Um, But yeah, so I mean, I love the the software side because you also have something that you can show, right? Like this is what it, you can show someone this, whereas you know, with uh, information or coaching, things like that, it's a, it's a result that they're going to experience. Otherwise you're just showing them videos, portal, etc. cetera. Uh, but with SAS, you can, you can show what you're doing, uh, which I think is just very cool as an entrepreneur.
0: So if I'm a gym owner listening to this and I'm like shut down right now, does your, how do you help a, a shut down gym right now?
1: So we, we uh, nine months ago or 10 months ago now, um, I took a really public stance uh, that I got a lot of flack for, um, that I thought that there was going to be uh, a recession coming and that I thought that there was going to be an event of some sort. I definitely didn't guess it was going to be a flow, but I thought there was going to be some event that was going to pop the bubble around uh, brick and mortar group training. Uh, and the the, the the signs were showing, at least for the brick and mortar gym models, because there were lots of the, the, the market had slowed down in its growth profit margins were dropping price was getting driven down towards the commoditized services and guys are barely making it in the best econ- economic times. And so I was like, as soon as they shake the tree, 30 of you guys are going out of business. And so the solution that I presented then is the same solution we have now, which is you need to pivot to having remote services, having one-on-one online services. In addition to your in-person training, it's higher margin. It increases your scale. Um, I believe it's more valuable because people value convenience and personalization more than anything. And that's not going to change. That's human beings. And so I, those are best that I would be willing to make. And so we made those videos and then I got lots of shit for them and then COVID happened. Then I got less shit for making those videos. So that was nice. But um, our guys had already, we'd already built out the entire system. And so (coughs) overnight we pivoted our whole community. And so our whole community is selling just as much, if not more now, uh, Online than they were in person and a lot of our guys are just contemplating whether or not they even want to go back because they make more money They're making their brick and mortar
0: doing nothing.
1: Oh, yeah, and I mean they're closed. They can't do it. I mean There's nothing you can't I mean some of them were uh, a lot of them were able to transition their in-person clients to remote But on top of that they sell remote services for people that aren't currently customers
0: couldn't you, couldn't, couldn't, if you're a gym out there in your, in your clothes, can't you figure out a way to become an essential facility? Like for example, um, doctors are essential. So bring a doctor in and, uh, consider the workout medically based. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't that work?
1: You might. Um, I wouldn't say that it's, it's, it wouldn't like that. It wouldn't work for me. It was, I had to think of what is something that they can all do tomorrow to generate cash flow. And so converting their existing customers into remote clients, most of them are able to keep 90% of their clients.
0: Really? Um, and
1: yeah. when you say remote,
0: like I'm going to log in in the morning, do a Zoom and work out in my house?
1: No. So that's the way the majority of the market is doing it. I'm not saying that the majority of the market's doing a good job. Our guys are doing a good job. Uh, and so- But is
0: that what you mean? I'm going I'm to log right. in and do fitness yeah. watching you and listening uh, to you from home?
1: No. I mean, that could be a component of it. But the, the big difference between, so big picture, if you're in the gym, I'll take a 90 seconds on gyms. If you're in the gym industry, you're not going to beat Beachbody at having online workouts. They've been doing it for 20 years. They're better than you at it. All right. They're huge. They're well-capitalized. They can beat you at it and they're cheaper. I almost,
0: I almost, I almost closed those pricks on uh, Lightspeed about eight years ago.
1: Close them. Hey, Carl, if you're listening, you should use Lightspeed. Um
0: I think, I think Carl, I, I again, Carl was in the room. I, I almost closed them, but I think they ended up trying to copy it. Well, just build their own, not copy it. But at the end of the day, I almost closed those pricks, dude. That would have been a good damn it, Carl.
1: (laughs) So uh, you're not going to compete with them there, right? In the same degree, you're not going to compete with like free workout diet plans, right? Like you can Google them and get them for free. So all this stuff's free already. So what competitive advantage can a service-based facility offer that no one else can? Accountability is making sure you do the shit that you're supposed to do. It's not the thing that you're doing that's the value. It's the making sure that you do it that's the value. And so we sell the accountability compor- portion as the primary piece. Now we have the software behind that, um, that one I didn't build. We just private labeled something and then custom built a bunch of stuff into it that was all of our systems and our messaging so that we could give people the hey, you just had your first workout, how was it? Hey, what can I change? And so instead of having group workouts are actually individualized workouts for the person. And so think about it instead of hey, I was paying 150 a month for in person, why would I pay 150 a month for remote? Instead it's I was paying 150 a month for group and now I'm paying 150 a month for one-on-one. And that's the key differentiators that now we're selling one-on-one service, but it's much more scalable because you're selling it in a remote setting. Does that make sense?
0: Listen up folks, if you got a gym or you're, what about personal trainers?
1: They're, they're in the exact same boat. You're, yeah, you're going to have to sell accountability. You're going to have to sell one-on-one um, and that's where you're going to be able to still get a month all day long from Gen Pop uh, for that level of service. In fact, a lot of people actually prefer the one-on-one convenience of being able to have workouts catered to them, nutrition plan catered to them, and someone who's checking in on them every day to make sure they're actually doing it and tracking their progress. No gyms are doing that in group training, and that's why it's more valuable.
0: What about, what about leasing out your equipment? Like, like to me, there's a gym by my house. I would, I would run down there. It was fitness 19. They're closed. Like I didn't know the owner, but man, I'm telling you, I was like going, shit, dude, I wish I had that piece of equipment at my house real quick. Like I'd have, I'd have kept paying and you know, I'd have gave him a hundred bucks a month just to say, Hey, let me use that for a while. Like you're not using this son of a bitch. Get to my house. I'll give you a hundred bucks a month to use that th- th- those pieces of equipment.
1: Yeah, they're definitely, um, they're definitely a, a bunch of gyms that did that. Um, again, when I, when I come up with solutions for our community, I have to think what's the, what's the lowest, what's the lowest hanging fruit that everyone can execute without a lot of operational, uh, drag. And that's going to, that's going to feed them.
0: All right. Now let's take a little abrupt turn only because I know you like data from talking to you offline. Like, dude, you, 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 you get freaking excited about data. I don't know if you call it data. Or data. <laughs> but at the same time, you like numbers. So here's my question: uh-huh. What the hell is going on with this COVID shit, dude? Is it blo- Are you in LA? Are you in California?
1: No, I'm in Austin. I'm in Texas.
0: Oh, thank God, dude! I'm telling you, like Washington, the state of Washington, California. There's 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 states, certain states that are just like going. They're just stupid. But the whole country's stupid. What do you think's happening?
1: I really liked that you framed this question with data because that's how I talk about it. Um, I think this is like, what's happening right now is a perfect example of having uh, people interpreting data differently, right? The quality of the data, because ultimately if everyone believed that the data, like in this, this extrapolates to business decisions, this extrapolates to how you run companies, all of this, why two, why people who have the same values, most people in this country have the same value. Why would they, if presented with the same data, make different decisions, right? And so right now, the, the question, the thing that's being brought into question is the, is the validity of the data. Is, are these deaths really COVID, right? Like, or, or are there alternative incentives at bay? Right now, ho- hotel, excuse me, hospitals are going out of business. Doctors are getting furloughed because there's no one who's going to hospitals. So the idea that they're overrun massive, like, across the country is pretty much a fallacy. Like, that, I think, if you talk to doctors, like, my neighbors in the ER doc, like, you talk to them, like, they're empty right? And so then you have the economic incentive for them, which is that you get $13,000 for every person who's COVID. Well, shit. If I have no more revenue and every death that I have has the potential. Now, in order for you to, this is my understanding.
0: Isn't that fraud? That's fraud.
1: Right. In order for you to mark, to, to denote someone as COVID, they don't need to be tested positive. They just need to show symptoms of COVID, which could be a cough, or signs of weakness. Now I don't know about you, but most people before they die, who does not cough or showing sign of weakness? Oh yeah. So you're, you're, you're putting good, good intentions people and then you're creating a situation where it would make almost logical sense economically where you're being permitted to get funding where you can no longer generate revenue by marking something because you made the requirements for that you must mark anyone who shows these symptoms. Now, we've always seen, we've seen the dramatic decrease in pneumonia deaths and tubercul- tuberculosis deaths and heart disease deaths. But I looked at the deaths from last year. So I did dive a little bit into this. Um, and mind you, just for everybody, I've never voted. I don't care. Um, but I just like to look at, like, what is, right? And so if you look at the deaths from last year, same time, to deaths this year at the same time, from a statistic standpoint, they're the same. And so the same amount of people are dying right now as were last year. And so... Just from COVID now. Right like, but I'm like forgetting how we're coloring it, the total deaths, because you'd think if there was a pandemic that was murdering people everywhere, right, that there would be an increase in deaths, that would be natural, right, an increase of people would be dying if there's something that's worth shutting the whole country down. But we're not seeing the same total number of people are dying. Now, whether we're allocating it to COVID or not, is less my, I'm not, I'm not there. I'm not the one checking the boxes, right. Um,
0: well, we are we are doing that, and you you already hit it. It's because they get paid now. My question is, if they said no more money for COVID, we don't care if they're COVID or flu, yeah. no more money for COVID. Do mm-hmm. you think all of a sudden the COVID nineteen pandemic would end?
1: I think hospitals would be out of business.
0: What do you mean? <laughs>
1: well, because the, they the, would
0: no longer
1: be. The pandemic would in. end. Wouldn't it, like, Right. And I as. The downstream effect of that is that the whole point of flattening the curve was to not, or at least what we were told, or at least my understanding was, we we're trying to flatten the curve so we don't overwhelm the healthcare system. Yeah. The healthcare system is underwhelmed. They are going out of business, getting furloughed because no one's there.
0: And that's so, a fact. That's not. A, that's not. That's not a theory. Right. So, You're not conspiracy theorying.
1: <laughs> I have the powers that be. I have no. I have no. No, no statement on It's just that. So yes, I think the incentives are misaligned. I think that you like that when you made the rules that way, the game was going to be played this way. Whether it was intentional or not is another discussion. But like I can see why someone would say, yeah, well if they if they have COVID, then we want to give them funding. That makes sense. Um, well, we don't have any tests, so we should just say if it looks like COVID. That makes sense in theory, but and then in, in practicality, it means anyone who shows any sign of weakness before they die, I can get thirteen thousand dollars for them. Then human incentives is going to kick in. That's just my two
0: cents. Yeah, and, and not making it a felony to be wrong. You know, so at the end of the day, again, I wouldn't blame uh, a hospital. If I owned a hospital and the government came in and said the same thing, dude, I don't consider it fraud. It's like, dude, if they have a indication that they might have COVID, you can get 13 G's. I'd be going, dude, that dude was coughing.
1: He he looks like COVID, doesn't That guy yeah. smells like COVID,
0: doesn't he? <laughs> Listen, he was sniffling and that's the COVID thing. So COVID, COVID, COVID. Well, now these numbers start piling up and all of a sudden it's like, see, I'm just wondering though. Is it, is it all coincidental and accidental or is there some seriously sinister motherfucker somewhere doing this on purpose? Like, in other words, it was all a master plan. They knew offering money for COVID patients would cause all these people because those doctors in LA were talking, which they get deleted all the time saying, Hey, why are we being pressured to put COVID? They said they're being pressured to put, why?
1: Probably because of the funding. (laughs) <laughs> like, if you don't do it, we don't make 13000 grand. Yeah, but oh
0: well, well, who was pressuring them is the question. Because if it was the hospital owners, well, then that would make sense. But right. what, if it's, what if it's the politicians? What if it's the government?
1: That, I I don't know. I don't I have think, the, the – I, I think that most people a lot of times – and take this with a grain of salt. But I think most conspiracy theories typically aren't right. And that's just people attribute – they just – they, they worst-case scenario it. I think the amount of coordination it would take to make something like this happen and the level of prediction that it would take to know all of the human incentives that are going to kick in at every level with this much panic seems unrealistic to me but i can i can describe the current scenario you know what i mean um and i can say that it doesn't really make sense now at least in from where i'm sitting but you see
0: it ending soon
1: uh from an economic standpoint
0: no do you, do, you, do you see someone coming out going? All right, frick, we were wrong. Go ahead, go back to work. No. Right now, you got to wear masks. We're yeah. rolling it out. phases. They're worried about the second wave. You know, it's all this like, dude. The governor in Washington is 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 like putting together National Guard to go door to door and test. People. Remove people or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And then and then you got and then you got Governor Newsom in California. He's basically saying, well, we're going to lock down till August. Here's my question. Based on what, like when, when laws get made, man, there has to be a bill introduced. Then it has to get past, I think the Senate or the house. Then it goes to the Senate. Then it goes to the president before it's a law. You remember the old, you know, uh, uh, sitting here on Capitol Hill. Remember that, com- that cartoon? I didn't um, well, you can Google it. Cause yeah, you're, you're a young man. I'm, a, I'm an old dog, but there used to be an after-school cartoon that would be like, there'd be a rolled up piece of paper, but he had a face and he'd be like, I'm just a bill sitting here on Capitol Hill. And, and both basically it was teaching kids how, how laws would, became laws. Okay. So who says that there's a law that you can't go outside? When did it go to the Senate and then the house and then the president signed it?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I- we're, we're in agreement. I think it's, it's ridiculous. I try, I try not to think about it cause I end up just getting angry and then it doesn't, it doesn't help my, it doesn't help my state, doesn't help me out my business. So I try not to engage in it too much cause it's very frustrating cause most entrepreneurs, most people who are listening to this, our entrepreneurs or aspiring to me. We all seek freedom, right? Like even more so than general population, right? Like we're in America, which by its very nature is a more free country than anywhere else. And then of that cream of the crop, the craziest motherfuckers want the freest freedom which is entrepreneurs. We want no one to tell us what we have to do. When, like, I still get bothered have well, getting told to put a mask on when I go into public because I'm like, guys, come on. You your on? Like, this is the flow. I have to to get into some places. I like to get groceries.
0: Well, you don't go get... Oh, you must. I was going to say, I was $5 to fucking deliver them. So that that's out like, of the
1: question. Well, Instacart's like six days delayed.
0: That's that's out of the question for the hormone. <laughs> oh, I, I want to talk to Layla and see if she likes it or hates it. Oh, she hates it. Yeah, I would too, dude. My wife would not put up with that shit.
1: Yeah, she hates it. So, but I'm I, but I'm a big believer in controlling the things we can't control. And so right now, these are the cards that were dealt. I'm gonna just play the hand.
0: Well, here, let me just see if I can help you a smidge. Kay? Yeah. Spend some fucking money, dude. <laughs> Serious. Like, dude, you got one car and your wife wants another one. And you're like, why do we need one? You don't need one. You don't. Need you can have two more and nothing's going to happen. You won't lose one ounce of sleep. You won't make less of an impact. Nothing's going to happen except for you make your wife happy. So now. I said, why?
1: okay. I said, okay.
0: Oh, okay, good. <laughs> but, but 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 20 grand's are limit. You, you guys are doing 37 million a year, but you know, hey, go get a Camry. Ain't no fucking Mercedes happening around here. Which is
1: great because then we can drive it without worrying about it, right? Like somebody tries to cut me off in my lane, we're like, "You can hurt the Camry, I'm good with it."
0: Dude, you can do that with any car. Uh, you know, I, I had a I had a four eight eight Ferrari, and yeah. everyone everyone kept going like, "Dude, I can't believe you, you you park it right there. I can't believe you drive it like that. I can't believe you give it to the valet guy." Guess what? It, number one, it's, it's insured just like a fucking Camry. <laughs> N- number number two, if you own your possessions, yeah. then they don't own you. But most yeah. people buy these things. And then those things actually end up owning the person
1: Yeah.
0: because they won't do that. They're worried. Oh, someone might scratch my car. Yeah. Would you care if they scratched a the fucking Camry? Well, it's just a Camry. It, dude, it, it's just a car. It's just a fucking expensive car, but it's still a car.
1: Oh, that's but a dude, funny story about that. I uh, I rolled up to my first mastermind. So this is like, we just started gym launch. This may be 90 days later. We're doing maybe 250, 300 a month, but now 250, 300 a month, but like in information. So I'm taking home like 250 to 300 a month. And I, uh, at this point uh, I'm a scratch millionaire, cash millionaire in my bank account, after taxes, like it's there. And we roll up in a Prius with a crack in the windshield and a dent on the side to the to the mastermind. And I swear to God, there's a lady outside, she was one of our clients. And she said, I thought you were supposed to be like, like rich. <laughs> She literally said this to me. And I was like, I am. You should see my bank account. (laughs) But but at that point, Layla was like, we should get another car. It looks bad. I was like, okay. (laughs) So
0: well, if I I have any influence on you, which I'm sure I don't, spend some money, dude. What if you got hit by a car or something? What if you get COVID?
1: What if I get COVID? I probably I've already had it. I'm sure I've had it. It's fine.
0: Yeah, but you said you don't have any kids. So what do you do with your money?
1: Well, Layla can then spend it on whatever she wants.
0: What if you die together?
1: If we die together, then my dad can spend it on whatever he wants. Why don't you Might, my dad can spend on anything? Is he <laughs> tight? Is he tight too? Yeah, he's the one he's the one with the paper napkins. He's the one with the, the paper towels. Yeah, yeah. Oh,
0: well, whatever. So let's go back to the yeah. to the drama and the conspiracy just for a minute. So step one, the whole plan was to flatten the curve, man, we can't overwhelm our, our hospitals because if we do, man, we're all going to die because we won't have enough beds. Okay. So that's already been accomplished. We flattened the curve. Yeah. Why are they not letting us get back out there?
1: I think it transitioned to politics at that point. So that's my, that's just, just what I've, I would observe is like, what's the money? Where's the motive?
0: Oh. <clears throat> but who do you think's at fault, Democrats or Republicans?
1: Well, I think that the Democrats would have the most to gain from tanking the economy um, because the only way that Trump would get unelected is if they can attack that. I mean, that makes sense to me. So I th- on some level, it's like, well, maybe if we hold out, if we can take the country till then. There's also some state uh, state incentives, right? Like California is so, so bankrupt as a as a state, right, that maybe if they further tank their economy, they can blame it on COVID and then they can get a bailout from the federal government, federal government and then balance their budget. That's yeah.
0: exactly what's happening.
1: Right that that would make sense to me as an incentive. Now, is, is that horrible? Group. Does that <laughs> mistreat everyone in your state? Absolutely. <laughs> like it's horrible.
0: You're the you're the first one that I've talked to that actually, you know, identifies with that. I've said that three times. That these states that are that are seemingly being more restricted than the rest, all seem to be the states that were financially not doing as well as the rest. And yeah. when you think they'll give thirteen thousand for a dead body, I mean, or, or a COVID patient, thirty-nine thousand if you put them on a ventilator. Yeah. How much are they paying if you fucking tank your whole state's economy? Like they'll just bail you out.
1: Right. They'll just print money. I mean, it's not it's not backed by anything, so the Fed can just. I mean, they can write a check to whoever if they want to. Well,
0: that's poor leadership. Poor leadership. That's I would, another. I,
1: would, thing I don't agree like. with you. I think that's horrible. Uh, but we're kind of witnessing it, so. Again, I try not to. It's what can I control? I can control how much we can market, and how much we can sell, and if we can solve the problems. Like that's that's what we can do for now. If I was in California, I feel really bad because you know most small businesses can't can't sustain for six months. You know because they're they're closed through August, right? Through August, average small business owner has 21 days of cash on hand. Wouldn't days. you move if you lived there? I would. I mean, I already did move away. I used to live in SoCal, so uh, I I totally would move. I did. For taxes? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Anybody would see, that's my point. Like anybody that's smart, like even semi-smart would not live there just because of stupid ass taxes. Now you introduce the, this strict COVID bullshit, dude, I'd be so fast out of SoCal. It'd be over with like, I'd already be moving many or no money. I'd be out. I'd be out. Yeah. <laughs> what, what's scaring me is that, that, that I don't see any, you know, leadership—if that's what you want to call it—stopping it. Like, I think if I were Trump, I'd tell Newsom, "Hey Newsom, okay, n- stop." stop anyone, your shit. anyone that did this, I'd be like, "Dude, Nash, n- we're taking over. Feds are taking over. Damn. This is leadership. All 50 states are going to listen to me right now. Boom. Do you have no more independence right now? We're 50." And we're going to act as one. Here's the leadership. I'd get rid of Fauci because he's a freaking scare tactic, son of a bitch that has ties to gates and all that. And then I just freaking tell people, listen, there's a virus. It can kill old people with comorbidities. The data is this. Now make up your own mind because this is a free country. If you want to open your restaurant and somebody wants to come in and eat at that restaurant, then freaking you both are adults. Have at it. Okay. If you're scared, stay home. The last want thing I'm going to HIV talk sex,
1: about. If you want to have unprotected sex and you're in an HIV hot zone, you should know it's an HIV hot zone. Probably don't do that in sub-Saharan Africa.
0: You know? <laughs> yeah. And why aren't they shutting down the world for that? Yeah. <laughs> so so my question, uh, last question when it comes to this COVID shit, because I want to get back to the, to the marketing. I want to pick the brain real quick on marketing. We're, we're almost out of time, but I want to pick it a little farther. But what about masks?
1: Uh, <clears throat> yeah. I mean, I think. I don't I don't know anyone who's like I'm I'm fairly sure from the what I have heard a the masks that are being required I'm not saying masks don't work in general but the masks that are being required are not the ones that work and so and if I pull my shirt up or I put a bandana on my face right to go to the supermarket like what am I what am I and then some people wearing gloves some people not wearing gloves most people don't even know how to put a mask on right they put it on their head they put on their forehead they touch their face again it does like it doesn't it doesn't do the preventive measure. What I would argue for masks is that it makes people aware of germs while they're wearing it. Not, it doesn't actually have any functional thing, but psychologically people are wearing it and they're going to be more cognizant of germs in general. That would what be about, the only reason.
0: What about hypoxia? What about breathing in your own carbon monoxide?
1: I don't know how, but I mean, I think there's a lot of workers every day that that breathe through masks, painters, nurses, surgeons who are in 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 uh sur- you know, in surgery all day. Uh, I think they, they do. Okay. That's where I would look if I was to pull data.
0: You say, Oh, okay. See, now this is why I asked you, cause dude, I, I knew I'd get intelligent, common sense, logical, data-driven answers. <laughs> Serious, Like dude, you- I can ask some people, they get all emotional and shit like fuck them. They're trying to control us all, you know? And I'm one of them a little bit like I'm getting pissed with this mass shit. Okay. Fuck yeah. you in your mask. Okay. I don't want to wear a goddamn mask, period. Okay. Now, again, if I had COVID and, 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 and it prevented people from getting it, of course I would wear a mask voluntarily, but you number one, I don't, died. <laughs> and I don't have COVID. And then they're like, well, how do you know there's people with COVID that are asymptomatic? And I said, how the fuck do you know that there's people with COVID with asymptomatic or they're asymptomatic? Guess what? The news said it exactly. You fuck nut. You ain't out there performing fucking tests and verifying people have COVID, but they've got no symptoms. This is, this is, this is crazy. This guy is testing positive for COVID, but yet he has no symptoms. This shit can be asymptomatic. Who says that? I'll bet you 50 fucking bucks. That's bullshit. If you ask me, like, like dude, have the flu asymptomatic, dude, if you got the flu, you got some fucking symptoms. Okay. Period. Now they're saying COVID is asymptomatic. No, no, no. That' so they can claim things. That's what it, I believe. Because again, how do you know if someone has COVID? You took a test, okay? What's that test testing for? How do we know that test is even testing for COVID?
1: That's a that's a whole other. I would say there's two there's two points that I would have delineated on on what you were just saying. The we talked about how we're marking deaths. Another part of data quality is how are we marking positives right? In terms of cases. So now this is, this is hundred percent anecdotal. So this is me speaking off conjecture, but uh, (laughs) my closest, my closest friend uh, is a PhD biochemist. And he was explaining to me that, that, you know, coronavirus is a family of viruses and it's not just COVID-19 it's, and the tests that they have right now are testing. This was from my understanding from what he said, um, it tests for a certain protein, but that, that belongs to the whole family. And so it's not just that one that they've isolated. It's just the whole thing. And then that automatically makes the tests kind of invalid and they're not accurate. So then, then you have false positives or, you know, whatever Uh, that, that, so it's like both, both data sources that we're using to make the decisions. If you were actually making decisions as a CEO, if you're making decisions about your business and your salespeople got commissions for marking people as showed up for their appointment, but not closed, all of a sudden you'd have so many show ups They'd be showing up to what? Well, you didn't close them, right? Well, I just marked that they showed up, right? I still get paid if they show up, right? And so, you know what I mean? That's kind of the the, the teeter-totter there. The, the second piece was um, what you were saying about the asymptomatic. I actually see it in a different light um, with asymptomatic. I think that a ton of people have already had it. They just didn't show anything, which then means that we have a lot more herd immunity that's already been encountered because big picture with germs, in my opinion, if there were something, we'd all be fucked. But like, that's just like, that's my actual belief because the amount of times we touch things, touch our face, we get boxes in the mail where someone drops them off and the, hand, the driver touches the wheel. Like there's too many times, like, and what do they do? They keep their glove on, they touch their face or they touch their cell phone, they take their glove off and they touch their phone again. It doesn't, you know, what I be mean? like, there's too many ways, there's too many ways to spread germs that a glove and a mask is going to prevent it. Maybe you could say it cuts down on it, but the transmission, in my opinion, would still happen either way. So I think a lot more people have been exposed to it um, than than would otherwise. And they were. They got it. They have an immune system. Immune system reacted, created antibodies, and they didn't need to show anything. Maybe they were short of breath for a little bit, but they barely noticed it. And then all of a sudden, you might have 20 times the amount of people who have gotten it compared to what they're even saying, even the inflated numbers, because that's a separate issue, the testing. But if 20 times the amount of people or 10 times the amount of people have already had it, then half the country's already had it. And just nothing happened. Right, so I think there's there's some layers to it. Um, Big picture, we've we've dealt with the flu our whole fucking lives, like whatever. So sorry, that's just that's my two cents on both those two things.
0: Mm, Intelligent, data driven answers. Thank you, Mr. Hormozy. Now let's get back to some some marketing discussion to wrap this up. I want to know if I'm a business out there, a business owner, regardless of what business I'm in. If I decided to follow in the footsteps of Alex Harmozy, Hormozy, should I? Am I pronouncing that right? Hormozy.
1: Hormozy. Yep.
0: So 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 <laughs> so if I followed in the footsteps of Alex Hormozy and and said fuck it, I need to learn how to market yep. first. Would that be a wise step for every entrepreneur on earth to learn it themselves rather than rely on someone else? Yes. Even that. if it costs money, even if they don't have the money, even if they got to go spend some of that hard-earned capital that they don't have.
1: So I have a fundamental belief that you cannot be broke and have time. You got to pick one, right? You either have time and no money, or you've got money and no time. You can't have neither, right? Because if you're broke, you can always trade more time for dollars. You can always do that. Um, as as I've leveled up as an entrepreneur, I've always had a plan B that was a hundred thousand dollars a year, even with zero. So when I had my gyms, my plan B was I drive Uber during the day and I'd strip at night. That was 100% my plan B. If this failed, that's what my plan B was. I'd make 150 grand a year doing that. I make 75 as an Uber driver working 12, and then I would probably make another 75, maybe 100, stripping at night. I don't care. Zero. Like I have no shame in that stuff. Like that is that's how I operate. And so if anyone, somebody's like, well, I don't want to strip at night. Alex, I'm like, cool. Then get another job. Whatever. You can drop ship. You can go e-commerce. Like there's a million things you can do. Um, But the point is, if you work for 16 hours a day, like you will have enough money to buy the things that you want to level up your skill set. But your investment, in my opinion, I think you should be consistently investing in skills until you can't even find somewhere to put the money to invest in more skills. And so I had a a talk that I gave a while ago um, where I got quote. I was like, unless you're making $100,000 a month take home, at that point is maybe when I would maybe... Consider not spending as much on it, but still like you just, it's just hard to spend a hundred thousand dollars a month in, in, in education to be honest with you. Like, but if I see something, I buy it instantly. And when it was in the beginning of my career, it might've been half of my paycheck or a hundred percent of my paycheck um, was going towards learning how to market, learning how to sell because everything, at least for me is sequential. So you have to solve your first problem. I don't have customers. Well, I need to learn how to get demand. I need to generate demand. And then you're like, well, shit, how do I get them to show up for these appointments? And then you learn how to nurture leads. And then shoot, these people are showing up for their appointments, I don't know how to sell. Then you learn how to sell. And then you're like, well shit, what am I selling? <laughs> uh, obviously you should have some idea what you're selling before you start, but typically you can sell services. You can sell information or services, both of cause zero money to start. And I think that those are the best businesses to start for people who are starting out because they don't require capital to get going, This requires knowledge. And knowledge is easy to attain. And a lot of knowledge you can get for very little money. You can go on Udemy, you can go on YouTube and you can Google right now how to run Facebook ads. It's not Google how to run Facebook ads. You'll learn how to run Facebook, ads. how to build a landing page. Would you learn well though? Was that?
0: Would you learn well? Is there free how to run Facebook ads that you've witnessed that are like, dude, that is how you do it.
1: It's a great question. Because you, when you're starting, you don't have the perspective from which to make a judgment on what is good and what is bad. Yes, I can identify what a good Facebook ad training would be on YouTube, but somebody who's starting may not. So what's the solution? You got, ask to, start. You. You got to start,
0: right? Or, or just ask you, what's a good one? What's a good one?
1: Oh, I think if you look at um, John Loomer, he's got great stuff. Um, you look at Justin Brooke, he's phenomenal at traffic in general. You look at John Belcher, um, J-O-N Belcher. Uh, he's got great stuff on traffic. Um, I mean, if you, if you look for it, they're there. You know, go like... Yeah, but
0: everybody everybody says, oh, those are all scams. Those fucking online courses are all ripoffs. Well, Which they're you
1: took, not. You took Spanish in high school. do you speak Spanish? Is Spanish a ripoff? No. Right. You just weren't good at it. okay? Now that being said, sure, there are people who aren't. And so my belief is that most people are not intrinsically bad. I don't think people have bad intentions. There are some people who are better at teaching than others. and I will 100% give you that. There's some courses that don't do a good job at teaching the thing. That's usually not the intention of the person. It's probably an earlier on entrepreneur. It's just not as good, right? This is being real. Um, and so I think that the best way to do this, if I'm looking at where am I going to, if I'm starting out, where am I going to invest my, my money? I'm going to look at the most proven business, the one that has the most reviews, the most five stars, whatever. I'm going to look at that business and I'm going to say, okay, this many people got results of this. There must be enough here that if I work it, it will work right? If someone's got no reviews, then I probably wouldn't load there. They've got two, they like, if you get on the phone with someone, they're like, well, I've got two customers. It's like, "Eh, you know, maybe because you have the option, you can go to someone who's got a hundred, you can go to someone who's got 500. So go to the people who already have proven it out. um, And, and go. Now, one of the the hacks that I've had in my life is that when I really want to acquire a skill, I pay for one-on-one training. So I got, this is earlier on, this is when I had my gyms. I learned enough about Facebook ads to I learned enough to be dangerous, but not enough to be like an expert. I just, you know, I learned enough to get the job done, but I knew that I needed to level up my skill set. So I want, I talked, I walked around or asked people, I said, who are the best guys? And one guy came up and so I called him up. I said, Hey man, like I, I need to learn Facebook ads. And he's like, well, I don't, he's like, I've got a course. And I was like, no, I don't want to go through your course. I want, to, I, want to, I want you to teach me how to run these ads for my gym the way you would run them. And he was like, well, I don't do that. And I'm like, it's America. Everyone's got a price. What is it? right? What would it, what would it take for you to one-on-one with me? He said, 750 a week. And I said, done. Like, why didn't you just say that? Right. And so one of the big beliefs that I have, even in the gym space is, you should always have a one-on-one price because someone is willing to pay it. Right. And make it a price that you'd be actually happy to say yes to. Like I still sell personal training services for 500,000 an hour. You want to come to my house? I'll train you half a million an hour all day long. I'll do it. No problem. Right. I have that price. Most people aren't willing to do that because there's an alternative solution that's just about as good for probably one, you know, one hundred thousandth of that. Um, but, the, but the point remains that if you can, you'll much more rapidly learn. And that person in a one-on-one setting will be forced to cater the context of the content to what you're looking for. And so I was like, I don't want to generalize. I was like, I want you to teach me how you would run my ads for my gym. And then he showed me and I was like, great, now I know how to do this stuff. And then-
0: Was it, he in the gym business?
1: No, he was just a traffic guy. And so it only took
0: What if I called him and I said, I want you to teach me, well, not me, my guy. I want you to teach my guy how to run light speed ads.
1: Yeah, I do that all the time for my team. So for my traffic guy, I have two guys that I pay one-on-one consulting fees for to to teach him. And he already knows any course that you want, I will buy it for you. Here's the contingencies. You have to go through it. You have to take notes and you have to tell me exactly how we're going to use it. And then you have to show me once you did. Otherwise, I won't buy you another one. And he's been doing that every time. And that's why I've got one of the best traffic guys on the planet. No one even knows who he is. It's okay. Because he's mm. done. But that's mm. because we I invested in him. Because what better you? Same thing with the sales guys. You want a sales training? You want it? I'll give it to you. But you got to go through it. You got to show me how you're going to change the scripting up. And you got to show me how you've been implementing it. Or you're not getting to
0: If somebody's listening to this, says, man, I can't afford these courses. What's the, in your mind, the best marketing book to start with?
1: Mm. I actually think that dot-com secrets, Russell's book is a really good starting place. It's not going to teach you how to run ads, but because like, okay. So for people who are starting out, The, the fundamental problem with everyone who's starting out is that they're thinking that there's one question they can ask that's going to make them money. And that's not the truth because there's not one skill that will make you money. Like learning how to market, like we're saying, like Brad and I are saying, is not one skill. It's learning how to write headlines. It's learning how to write coffee. It's learning how to make creative, learning how to make videos. It's learning how to make landing pages that convert, learning how to build an opt-in page, learning how to build a a text and follow-up sequence. Like those are all fit. Learning how to link all those together, learn how to, to place the ad on a traffic platform, learning the different nuances between Facebook and Instagram and YouTube and Twitter and whatever, TikTok, who cares, right? So there's there's a lot of many skills that encompass marketing. And that's why guys who are starting out are like, man, I, I bought this course on copyright, and I didn't make any more money. It was like, well, yeah, you don't know how to place an ad. You don't know how to build a landing page. You don't know how to make an offer. You don't know how to stack value. You don't know, how, you don't have that yet, right? You have to have all those things. And unfortunately, people who are starting out mistake making zero dollars as a lack of progress. But the reality is that you have a lot of steps that are underground that you have to step up below ground zero. The moment you make your first dollar that goes over the bridge from you marketing and selling, the second dollar comes right afterwards. It's not as hard to go from dollar zero to dollar one as it from dollar one to dollar two. Like it's Getting the first dollar across the bridge is the hard part. And building the bridge has a lot of breaks.
0: Dude, smart, smart man. Alex Hormozzi, folks, if you guys want to follow him, at Hormozy, H-O-R-M-O-Z-I on Instagram. alex.hormozy on Facebook. Twitter, your <laughs> gym launch. And if I were you guys, I'd go, especially if you're in the gym business. But listen, you can learn a lot, even if it's not a gym business you're in. I'd go get a book. You buy that at alexesbook.com, alexespodcast.com. You'd be hearing all kinds of shit like this on a regular basis. And the meals, dude, Prestige Meals or Prestige Labs started this done for you meals.com or alexesmeals.com. Dude, if you go there and you, um, you know, order meals, basically in my mind, every gym on earth should have fucking meals. Why? Well, because that's, don't they say like 80% of it is how you eat. So, so why are you going to the gym every day, six days a week, then going home, trying to figure out how to eat healthy when for a chump change amount of money, you buy the meals too. So that's, that's the last thing I want to talk about, dude. Those meals, what, what, like, I don't know how you seal them, but when they show up and they're all freaking easy as shit, it tells you exactly the freaking micros and the macros, and you pop it in a microwave for two minutes and 30 seconds, four minutes if it's frozen, and you got some freaking good ass, nutritious meals yeah. instant. Why wouldn't everybody on earth do that?
1: So most people don't think rationally. Uh, If you make more than $40,000 a year, it makes no economic sense for you to take the time to grocery shop, bring it in, put the, put the things in the, in the cabinet, uh, prepare your food, decide what you're going to eat, chop it up, bake it, grill it, eat the food, then clean it. Like all of that. uh, Average U S American woman uh, spends 10 hours a week, just preparing and cleaning food. They spend three hours a week on average going to and from the grocery store and shopping for groceries, 2.7. But um, spends, so you're talking, you're talking 12 hours a week, and that doesn't even include eating the food, right? 12 hours a week. So you're talking 40 hours a month, right? That you're spending, you're spending an entire work week every month. I don't want you make per hour. But if, if you're like, man, I don't have time. Like, well, there's 48 hours for you, my gift to you that, that you can save, that you can have all that time back to learn all the skills that you say you don't have. And then you have to look at is the opportunity cost of the time, right? Like shoot. Well Uber. well, Uber is actually picking back up, but there's a million things you can do in 50 hours a week to afford all of the the courses and things that you want. And you should start with books. Books are phenomenal. They're, they cost nothing, right? Like books are cheap. You can buy books. The only stuff that's a little bit more difficult is like, I would say the only thing that has to really be consistently relevant is traffic. That That stuff changes constantly. The interface changes. But like everything else, how to sell is evergreen. Once you learn how to sell... Never changes. Learning how to market, the theory behind it, making an offer, headlines, writing copy—that does not change, right? So once you learn all those skills, there's only one thing that you need that's relevant. And again, you can look on YouTube, and you should be able to just see if this guy's got five hundred thousand, you know, subscribers on YouTube, and he's a traffic guy, he's probably pretty good, right? If the guy has like nine hundred, it's about traffic, right? If you knew how to get traffic, you'd probably be pretty good at it. It's like the marketers who, uh, like, I've got, I've got would-be gurus who tried, who try to attack us. Um, and, uh, I'm like, why do you think we're a hundred times bigger than these guys? Like, well, maybe they're not as good at marketing as we are, but aren't they supposed to be selling you marketing? Right. So like, it's kind of a losing proposition. Like the only way that you can beat us is to be bigger than us, but you're not. So sorry, that sounded arrogant, but that wasn't the point. Anyways, for everyone who's listening, you can learn all this stuff on a dime if you just do it. Alex, you the man. I
0: appreciate you spending time. We went over my allotted time. I appreciate that. Um, hopefully, uh, you'll look in that email. Go check that. Hit me up and let me know how that worked out. Because, dude, I got to figure out something. I got to figure out some secret sauce where, where Lightspeed's got the secret sauce. And then, dude, like I said, I'm not greedy. I'll cut you in. You come You come figure out how to freaking sell it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm just starting. I'm just starting to do what you did. Now, again, everybody's got their own way of doing things. There's more than one way to skin a cat. But if I were you guys listening, I'd probably follow the way Alex is describing because I did it the backwards way. I freaking, I learned sales. I can close anybody on anything, and I think the reason I'm successful is because I closed a lot of people on a lot of things. Right. So, so if I would have learned to market first, I think I would be a lot farther ahead. The re- the reason why is I sold everyone a license and let them figure out how to market it. And I would just sit back and cheerlead and be impressed and, Oh, good job. Wow. How'd you do that? Oh shit. That's fabulous. You know, give me my piece. Thank you. Well, what are you doing next? But but the problem is when those people started getting big, because the ones that figure out marketing always do, right? When they started getting big, they're like, why the fuck am I cutting you such a big check? And I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm the one that started this whole thing. I'm the one that told you to do it. They're like, yeah, but we're the ones doing it. And 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 now I can kind of just, you know, figure out some other way to, to 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 deliver what you've been delivering. And I'm thinking, dude, this is bullshit. This is unfair. So I had to get forced into saying, okay, so now I gotta go learn my own marketing. And maybe I'll come back and kick you in the dick really quick <laughs> by freaking, by, 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 you know, basically coming after you. Now. I'm starting to learn marketing and I'm starting to see, oh shit. And everything you just said, I think folks, if you're listening, one of the main things he said is marketing is a huge word, dude. It's copyright. Like people say, you know, just get a click funnel and you make millions. No, that's, that's how Russell and I, and I, and I am nothing against Russell or click funnels. We, I think we use it, but a click funnel is not all you need. You're not one funnel away. Okay, you're one funnel, one headline, one copywriter, one product, one pricing, one targeting, one placing. Folks, if you don't place the right ad the right way, your beautiful headline and copy doesn't do shit and vice versa. So that whole thing you said of all those things that are necessary to technically do good marketing is a lot. And it's
1: a it's a lot. If everyone here is listening, feels overwhelmed by that. good. Because it means that the rest of the market is going to stay broke. And if you do achieve it, there's just unbelievable amounts of gold on the other side of the rainbow.
0: Automated I gold.
1: Automated gold. Right? I'm yeah, I'm serious.
0: Say. Dude, yeah. like like your school. I'm not doing it. I hired someone to do it. But dude, I'm doing ten fifteen thousand dollars 15000 a week. I'm spending $875 a day. I haven't scaled it. I yeah. just threw it out there. I do it as an example. So when people come here and they're like, oh, my speed doesn't work. I'm like, dude, look it's four hours of training. I put it in the system. I advertise it. We're doing 15, 10, 15 grand a week. Okay. Net by the way. So, 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 so it does work, but the automated money makes me think, dude, why am I not filling up closer school? Why am I not taking that more seriously? Why don't I scale that up? Like, that's crazy. I don't do anything. Yeah, I love automated money.
1: Let me add one thing for everybody who's starting out who who's really like just getting new. Sales and demand gen, those two skills alone will feed you for the rest of your life. Like you can, you can, you'll never go, you'll never go hungry. And the, the, in my opinion, the way that you can make your, get much better at marketing much faster, or at least make money online much faster is connecting a phone to a funnel. All right. It's much more difficult. takes much more split testing, way more savvy and skill to get someone to take their credit card out and buy something from you than it does to get them to give your name, phone number, and email address. All right. And so, I mean, and right now there's products on Facebook that you can just do a lead ad, which you, they don't, you don't have to build a page. You just run the ad and they double click on their thumb and then you automatically get the name of the lead. And what do you do? You call them up and you say, Hey, so-and-so you're from the internet. What's up? What made you click on the ad? Right. And then Brad's probably giving you every content under the sun for how to close someone. So like, it's, you're not that far away. I would, I would try and simplify this whole thing. Is like if you can just get someone to give you their name, phone number and email address and say, I would like more information on this problem, you can sell them. Right. And then you just have to learn a very simple script. Sales over the phone is, is, is a skill that you can learn in weeks. It's not a like it's takes years to perfect it, but you can get, you can get proficient in a matter of weeks with reps. So I just, just to not to, to reverse what I said about disincentivizing you, it's, there's a very little amount that you just have to do to get that first dollar, just get them on the phone and then close them. I still to this day, don't sell anything through, <laughs> through a funnel. Um, we, I guess I, I'm a sales guy first and I learned how to market because I went to that conference and I've kind of continued to level up. I still think I'm better at sales than I am at marketing. Um, but I just always want to meet someone as, as soon in the funnel as I can. Because I know how to drill a sales team. I know how to build sales scripts. I know how to get them to close. Um, and usually you can get 10 times, 20 times as much money uh, attaching a phone to a funnel than you can trying to get someone to buy something through a funnel. And so it also allows you a lot more safety net for sucking at marketing. Right? Like I don't think the marketing that we have is the best out there. We just make more than everyone else does per customer. And that allows us to outbid everyone. So it's yeah. just a key differentiator.
0: Yeah. And and your price has to kind of stay low if you want it, if you expect it to be without touching and talking. Yeah,
1: You can instantly four or five extra prices over the phone if you have someone selling it instantly, no matter what the product is.
0: Folks, you heard it, Alex. I appreciate it. Next time you're in town, make sure you come by. I want to do a live. I know the sound on these are not as good, but man, I knew I had one opportunity to get Alex on the horn. So I said, fuck it. We're doing a zoom.
1: <laughs> well, I'm super. This was a, a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it, and hopefully, uh, the audience got something from it.
0: Oh, I guarantee you they did, dude. Listen, share this out with all your friends and family. Follow Alex, and uh, always keep it real.